The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. everyone and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now it is of course, uh, it's been a big week this week in the mining industry. Uh, Diggers and Dealers was held in Kalgoorlie um, this week. John McDonald joins us now, a mining analyst at Argonaut. John, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today, especially after what I'm sure has been an absolutely crazy week. Yes, been a bit busy, but uh, no, pleasure to be on the line. Now, John, I last went to the Diggers uh, and Dealers Conference in Kalgoorlie some time ago, so quite a few years ago, and I know it's changed quite a lot since I was there, especially this year and last year, of course, with so many unable to travel um, because of COVID uh, and, of course, all the restrictions there. What was the feeling like there this year? It was pretty, it was very well attended. It was um, at least as busy as previous years, uh, and uh, I guess there's, there's always a lot of optimism in the room, um, and this year was no different. Uh, it's been a while since we've had to uh, turn up to a diggers when interest in mining has been low, so we've sort of forgotten about all that. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty uh, frenetic sort of pace and very well uh, supported, so uh, lots of good presentations, uh, and everybody uses it as a, as a means for which to catch up, and, uh, and that was pretty well uh, done throughout the the three days. Mm. So, you know, there were two main themes that came out of last year's conference, the importance of ESG and Australia's relationship with China. Now, it seems one of the main themes, again, this year was all about being green, and there are many champions out there from from the news that's come out of the conference this year um, for the new energy economy. Did you find that on the ground? Yeah, it's pretty evident throughout the presentations. Uh, when you're talking about on the ground, uh, there's lots of plans in place uh, and a little bit happening on the ground. So as far as Kalgoorlie goes, uh, it was pretty pretty well front and centre across most of the presentations. And I think more so than previous years because if, in, if the companies haven't sort of figured it out for themselves, then their investors have made it clear to them through uh, their own restrictions that, uh, that it needs to be something that's a, they paid attention to and, and um, formally reported, so formally followed. So it, it was it was pretty, um, as I say, comprehensively dealt with. Mm. Now, I think that, you know, when we're talking about being green and the new energy economy, people see it as, as, as a hugely positive thing. I was interested to see that the chair of evolution, Jake Klein, had some words to say about the valuation of companies producing some of these green metals. Um, in fact, he went as far as to compare them to the dot-com bubble. Um, what would you as an analyst um, say to that? Yeah, you need to think about, um, how it's being priced. If we just take the, I mean, one of the main sectors within that is the lithiums. So we saw prices go to quite high levels back in 2000 and, uh, is it 19? And uh, 
uh, it fell back pretty quickly and, and cast a swathe of uh, devastation through the industry and, and it's only just recovered to about half of the level it was and we're thinking about how the future of the industry is going to look given the likely demand or possible demand for for electric vehicles and, and what that means for lithiums uh, and so there's a pretty broad canvas on which to paint your your price scenarios and how it's all going to work out so it's pretty well half baked in if we get the price that uh, that some are, are pointing towards then shares can still be cheap uh, even if they are quite quite eye popping so yeah it's a, it's a bit hard to call a bubble when you're in one as they always say so it's only after they pop that you figure out that it was a bubble do you think there's a chance that there is a bubble there oh, there's always a chance that's the way markets work uh, they they do tend to overshoot where we are in the cycle probably not at the point where it's likely to pop because you've got lots of money around it's it's looking for homes and unless there's a, a left field event um, we're going to carry on like this for a little while at least Mm-hmm. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about battery metals um, and the resources and commodities needed um, for the for batteries itself seems to be taking or seem to be taking a key part in those discussions there um, at Diggers. Um, how much attention did you pay to this and, and was this a focus for you? It's, it's, a, it's a focus, yeah. Investors want to participate, so we've, we're, um, we're always on the lookout for opportunities for investors. It's it's not easy to work out where all the uh, opportunities lie. So it's a it's a long term commitment that we make. So yes, we're interested. We're certainly trying to to find uh, worthwhile investments within it. Where, where do you see the opportunities? Um, for us, we're trying to identify players that because it's such a complex market. Um, Downstream, upstream, uh, there's so many pitfalls. Uh, we're trying to identify the the underappreciated, well managed, and uh, well connected players. So not the ones that are charging in, um, waving arms, and and uh, talking about the volumes and trying to get to to market in a hurry. We want ones that are in for the longer term and trying to build a base. So I think. To get into the to the um, lithium space, you really need, or in any of the battery metal markets, you need to uh, have some patience and some uh, and build a, a network from very low levels. To uh, and we're looking for those sorts of companies at the moment. So, what sort of names have you got when it comes to that that sort of broader outline? Well, we've got a couple that we're I hesitate to mention because we haven't really got them under full coverage yet so uh, I'll probably pass on trying to to um, bring up some names but suffice to say there's small ma- small market cap um, just got a foothold in the market and we think that they've got the right people to work their way into the industry. Okay um, all right John BHP talked a little bit um, over the course of the week about building nickel mines and wind farms um, and they put that to um, their forecast that by 2030, around a quarter of all sales will be electric vehicles. Um, what are your thoughts on BHP's direction in, you know, when it comes to those nickel mines and wind farms? Yeah, well, it's a worthwhile. I mean, they're feeding into the theme, so we all use that as a 
uh, market confidence because we think that BHP will, will have spent the time and effort to do all the research and get it right. So we're, we're quite happy to see them uh, front run the industry. You know, stainless steel is still dominating nickel. There's plenty of room for growth if uh, the electric vehicles take off. Absolutely. I think I think that that's the concern of many um, and the joy of many others. Um, now, let's talk about refining, um, especially in this sort of area, uh, because there was a lot of talk about um, Australia. Well, was there, I should say, a lot of talk about Australia refining more? You know, obviously, while we're very in this country rich in the reserves of the materials needed for battery metals, um, so much of this is already shipped offshore for processing and manufacturing, and there's been talk of of a need for a better refining local refining sector. Um, is this is this something that you heard at the diggers and dealers? There's there's plenty of action on refining the downstream end of the markets. So um, we're talking if we talk nickel or lithium, there's plenty of uh, investment going on. So it's really happening, and rare earths as well. So there's, I mean, it's been a bit of a departure over the past three or four years in that we've seen this refinery uh, investment happening or this downstream uh, investment happening. So it's, uh, in the past, it's been pretty well offshore and um, mainly in China. But now um, we have the confidence to back ourselves and, and, and put some downstream capacity in Australia, which is great. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing those plans play out. Now, let's talk about some of the threats. I mean, this was pretty well publicised, that the former World Bank VP, Ian Golden, he spoke at the conference. Um, he talked about the biggest threat on the horizon is a Cold War with China. Um, now, I want to pay attention to what he said, not least because who he is, he's a very reputable um, guy and he's a professor, of course. But he also is the man who predicted that the next economic crisis would be caused by a pandemic. And whether or not, whether or not you agree that we're in an economic crisis at the moment, um, it's a pretty good reason to pay attention to him. Um, what, what would you, what's your view in terms of that and the people that you've spoke to at the conference over the last few, few days and the fear of, a, of some kind of a, a serious dispute with China? China's important. China's always been important for us ever since the early 2000s. It's hard to underemphasize that because they consume about half of the, the world's commodities in, in uh, lots of classes. So if you talk iron ore or concrete, or um, it's it's a crucial market. So um, you can understand any sensitivity to things that might go wrong. But we've never really understood how how China is going to evolve or has evolved and how it's going to evolve, um, and the pressures that they have internally. Uh, the information we get out is not always great. So you know. You can understand why we um, we are continually wringing our hands about the risks. So I'm no different. I, I don't claim to, to be able to see the future and how it's going to play out. I just do note that it is important. So at the moment, we're benefiting greatly from, from our relationship, trading relationship with China. Uh, makes sense for us to maintain that. And I can also see the side that says, well, you know, we need to be good, uh, good world citizens as well. I'm happy for the political management of that relationship uh, to play out and to see what is good for the world. 
Um, John, Professor Golden also talked about the value of gold at the conference, and I know that was discussed, and it's often been a priority um, in terms of the news coming out of the conference. Now, he's bullish, um, but he says that predictions of 3 to 3.5K US gold price by 2025 is too optimistic. Um, where are you on, on that front, and how important is, is, is gold to you in this environment? I mean, obviously, there are significant... Um, um, things that are going on at the moment, including the threat of inflation that will be impacting on the, on the price both now and going forward. Yeah, um, he used the um, the insurance, uh, which which I mean, gold is insurance against some things that might go wrong, um, and it's more important when, as an economy, you don't have another option. Or if uh, so, prior to two thousand and eleven. Uh, it was very much a Western um, European come US story where we were still concerned about the stability of the markets and, and how we would protect ourselves if, if things went pear-shaped. And since 2011, it's been more or less the developing world that has been um, investing in gold as insurance against things that might go wrong. Um, and that remains the case today. Uh, I think that because of the economic experiment that's going on with regard to most economies that um, that we need insurance now more than ever. And uh, so gold will continue to play a role. What's your forecast in terms of the gold price? We forecast that it's going to go up. Um, of course, when you forecast the price of gold going up, you have to couch that in terms of what it costs to get out of the ground as well. So it's no good for our investors if gold price goes up and the cost of extracting it also goes up and compensates for it. So so we hope that the margins, or we anticipate that the margins in gold production, gold mining, uh, will improve because we think we need to produce more gold to satisfy world demands. And so we think that uh, gold will go up to closer to the $2,000 mark in the very near term, and that cost might go with it for a short period. But as we work through the labour issues and uh, the other cost input issues, that the margins will improve. So we're positive about gold producing companies in general. Was there anything else that came out of the um, conference, John, that was particularly interesting to you in terms of some of the bigger metals, you know, iron ore's record rise and the subsequent drop over the last couple of weeks, you know, copper, also important in the EV market? Um, was there anything else specific that came out of the conference that you were particularly interested in? Yeah, well, it was very interesting to see the Roy Hill iron ore presentation and, and the way they're tackling their labour shortages. So you mentioned that they were um, looking at Defence Force. The other one was the airline industry, how they were looking to get people out of there because they, they had the right, the right um, training or basic attitudes and that they would prepared to train people up from those industries uh, and that sort of feeds into the, the the impression that we already had that things were tight so it was instructive to see how different companies are, are attacking the problem it was a theme that that spread throughout the conference and has been throughout the industry for the last few months um, there was also some sort of a sense from the iron ore guys that that we're not expecting it to last, uh, and I guess that's obvious as well because the margins are so so um, 
so wide at the moment that that inevitably that it can't be sustained. But um, we're making hay while the sun shines, as as, as they said. So uh, that was something that uh, was impressed upon us. What about junior miners? Was there anything interesting coming out of the junior miners um, at Diggers this week? There was. The conference has sort of swung a little bit away from the, the junior miners. Uh, the, the, I didn't attend yesterday, unfortunately, but but the the two days I did see were pretty well well established liquid producing companies, uh, and there wasn't a lot of space given to the to the smaller end, but. Uh, but um, the ones that were involved were good. I mean, degray has been a, a, a good discovery, and uh, we see companies like Pantora doing well, um, finding new. We also saw Chalice present. It's not a small company anymore, uh, but there's plenty happening on the on the exploration side, and it was good to see uh, those successes coming through, which helps to encourage the next wave. Uh, look, we really appreciate your time today, John. I know I'm sure it's been an absolutely hectic week, so thanks so much for coming to chat to us here on Stock Insiders. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Ari. And thanks again to also, also rather, to all of our supporters and our listeners. You are listening to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.